to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, June 27th. Everyone's well aware we are in the swing of the grass season. It is our last week before the fortnight at Wimbledon finally kicks off. As we've mentioned throughout the week, Wimbledon qualies taking place uh, this week, the men's and the women's side today, but or sorry, the gentlemen's and the ladies' side, I believe both completed their second round qualifying now. I'm not sure if they get tomorrow off. I know they'll want to be, you know, have the players get at least one day off before that first round begins, but it wouldn't shock me if they have tomorrow off, then they all resume play on Friday. So we've got results from there. Obviously, on the ATP side, we've got the uh, results from Eastbourne and from Turkey. Here today, joining me to talk about all of that is been far too long since I've gotten together with him on one of these podcasts. A former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, you know all of his work as a writer for CrackedRackets.com, a man we affectionately like to call Matt the Cracks the Koyak. Matty, welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast. How you doing? Gruskin, what's going on, man? I'm uh, I'm super stoked, man. This is time for Wimbledon. Um, I'm pumped, man. We got a lot of good stuff going on right now. So this is my second mini break in a row. I, I did one with Jamie as well yesterday. So I'm, I'm feeling good. And that's why we pay you the big bus question for you off the get go. I said, I only had one tangent plan. This was not it, but honest question from you. This has been one of the things I've been going off on recently. Do you enjoy the quality of grass tennis? Oh, I absolutely love grass tennis, man. It, it, for me, the grass season's too short. You know, we have such a long hard court season and then clay's, you know, pretty long as well. Um, and grass, it just seems like it's it's already gone by in the blink of an eye. Like, weren't we just at Roland Garros? And now we're about to be at Wimbledon like just a couple weeks later. So, yeah, no, man, I was telling Jamie, this is one of my favorite times of the year. I just, something about the lawn, man. It's just, it's a different kind of game. And I always enjoy seeing it every single year. So yes, I said love love grass. I said this earlier in the week. Wimbledon is its own event. It doesn't count as the grass tennis season. It's you know fucking Wimbledon. So it yeah, it's, that's it's, fair. Yeah, so it's its own category. But the points are just so repetitive. I mean, you know what you're going to see. You're either going to a get the ball behind the player, and then they're misfooted, and like, yep, now you've won the point because you just have so much space to work with. You're going to attack. You know, people aren't going to lose their feet. You're not going to have long physical points. You're going to see a lot of slice and dice, a lot of choppy tennis. I just feel like the point patterns, the things you're able to do on grass, on hard court, you can still have the aggressive tennis that you see on grass on those surfaces. But you can't see the fit. Well, I guess if it's Nadal versus, or not Nadal, sorry, Djokovic versus Murray in their primes in Wimbledon finals, maybe you see this sort of physical tennis on the grass. But just the majority of the time, I, Feliciano Lopez just won a title. I think that speaks to, you know, grass. If, if you can attack, if you can move forward, you have the advantage. And yes, there's something to that, of course. But like a month of it is plenty for me. I don't know. Look, quick counterpoint here. Have you seen Gilles Simone play during the last couple of weeks? Gilles Simone makes it look, he he just looks like he was born for the country club that is Wimbledon. (laughs) Man, look, that's one guy that we wouldn't expect to play well on grass, right? He he doesn't have the game for it. But he has before. He has before, but it's just whenever I watch that guy, I'm like, you know what? his game just isn't going to translate on this surface. And sure enough, he makes the final of Queens, almost beat Lopez. He didn't get it done, but I don't know, man. I mean, I I feel like I've seen more, at least in the last couple of weeks, 
there's been several matches that I've watched and I've been like, you know what? There's been longer rallies in this than I ever would have expected. Gilles Simone comes to mind. Jordan Thompson is another guy that's been playing well on the grass. He likes to lengthen the rallies out a little bit. I don't know, man. I mean, it's just, yes, overall, you're right. I mean, we're going to see the serve, the forehand, the points over in, in two to three shots. But I don't know. We'll see. Come Wimbledon, I, I'm going to keep my eye on how many, you know, how many rallies we do get that go. Eight, 10, 12 balls. It could be more than you think. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, obviously, there are certain players, just given how gifted they are, it doesn't matter, you know, the Chorches, the Zverevs, the Nadal Djokovic's obviously come to mind. It doesn't matter to the surface. They're going to make it a physical match. Real quick on Jill Simone, I was just looking up his record uh, over his career, and obviously, the sample size is much smaller. He has no titles on the surface, but you look across for the winning percentage, he's uh, his best surface, 276, 193 on hard courts. That's a 588 win percentage. That's where he has nine of his titles from. On the clay, 144 and 109, uh, five titles there. That's a 569 win percentage. On the grass, a pretty efficient, look, 48 and 36, a 571 um, win percentage. He's made the fourth round of Wimbledon twice in his career, made the third time, uh, a third round four other times. I, I I don't know why I'm fixated on Jill Simone. To the larger <laughs> point of I you got me going. I just I love Jill Simone. I've always just thought his game was so smooth. Everything he does just so natural. He makes it look so easy. Um, but to your point, yes, it, it's certainly a different style. Something that you're right. Given the pounding of the early hard court season, uh, the early clay, you know, the long clay court season. I suppose it is a nice reprieve from that. Yeah, for sure. And and every time every time I watch Simone play now, doesn't he kind of look like Jamie? I always picture Jamie a little bit. We've talked about that on a podcast before. I'm going to take credit for that call because, yes, I completely agree with you. He is Jill's Jamie McDonald Simone, but slightly better looking. <laughs> that's a good call, man. I, I like your call there because that's <laughs> – I'm like, wait a minute. Is that is that Jamie McDonald or, or – no, no, that's Jill Simone. Okay, I got it. The problem is Jill Simone's backhand is just so much better. Like just – have you seen – I guess you've never played with Jamie, but it's all backhand slices from hacks away, and it's like you are not nearly as smooth as him. But the eyebrows, the facial structure, it's all there. Yeah, that's <laughs> – man, every time I see him now, I'm just – that's all I'm going to think about. That's funny. Yeah. And look, we could talk about Jamie's facial structure for an hour, I'm sure. But you ready to talk a little tennis? Yes, let's do it. All right, let's start then in Eastbourne where we had our round of 16 played there today. Our only real breakdown of the day, but a match that really stuck out to me. Taylor Fritz, the young 21-year-old, takes out number one seed Guido Pea, 6-4, for Fritz to make the semifinals on grass. I believe that's the first time he's done it at a grass event at an ATP level. Uh, you just you look at this result now for him before Wimbledon. I guess, Matt, my first question is, I mean, this is just such a positive takeaway, right? Even though you you could say Pea maybe not the most natural uh grass court player there is but just great win for Fritz heading into Wimbledon yeah no question I mean Pea was the number one seed um it's obviously a big win you know for a young guy like Fritz anytime he can take out a one seed in an ATP event so um you know overall I, I expected Taylor you know to have an edge here on this surface I went into this match thinking that he had a pretty darn good shot to win and and he came through so he did exactly what I thought he could do and overall, I thought he played pretty well, man. I mean, his serve was great. 
uh, second set, there was just a little blip. He had one poor service game and, and, uh, you know, Guido was able to come through and, and take that second set. But I mean, really throughout the whole first and third sets, Fritz was pretty dominant on serve. I mean, a lot of points that I was watching, he was just cranking them in there. Um, if a return did come back, he was putting it away with that next shot. So great grass court tennis, good game plan. I think from Fritz, he knew he had to be aggressive. Uh, Pella usually likes to, you know, grind a little bit more. I think of him as a clay quarter, but yeah, great match, man. Big, big step. And hopefully now that the one seed's out of the way, Fritz can, you know, maybe, maybe win another round or two or make a serious run at this tournament before Wimby. On the Guido Pea side, yes, he's 23 and 14 on the year. He has a title already in 2019, but with this loss, he falls to a career four and nine now on grass. So yes, clay being the only surface he has a winning percentage on in his career at the ATP level. Obviously that, you know, that to grass, the long ground strokes of Pea, the big winding forehand, it's not going to translate. But to focus on the Fritz side, as you mentioned, I mean, 13 aces against four double faults, obviously four double faults, never great, but when you're hitting 13 aces, that's an acceptable ratio. He makes 62% of his first serve points, wins 83% of those points. It speaks to the fact that he's so aware of how important first strike tennis is on the grass surface. And you have to say, even though, you know, he won the junior U.S. Open in his uh, junior career, you could argue grass may be his best surface moving forward throughout his clay career or throughout his professional career, you know, despite it being the most limited of the season. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I think he's, he may always just prefer hard courts. I mean, he is American, right? So he's going to love that hard court season. But I I agree with you. I mean, I think his game is perfect for it with, with the serving and then he can back it up with those groundies. And I mean, like you mentioned, when 83% of your first serve points, it's huge, man. And he was just super aggressive. I, I hope he gets a good draw at Wimbledon, though. That's my only thing because you know, he's not going to be seated. Hopefully he can, he can work his way into the tournament a little bit. I think he can make a run. Um, but let's, let's get through Eastbourne first. I mean, he's hopefully got a few more matches here. We'll see how it goes. But today I was, I watched most of this match. I was pleased with his performance. The thing I love about Fritz on this surface, you know, players so easily misfooted on grass. For him, for the first strike tennis he wants to play after his serve, it doesn't matter if you give him a return on the forehand or the backhand side. If it's a light ball, you know, a floater that he can be aggressive on, he's going after it regardless with his ground strokes. And no, he's still not the most natural volley, although he did make the one uh, diving volley today, although he kind of hit the ball before he dived, but whatever, or before he dove, but that's a story, I suppose, for another time. But look, in this match, on the returning side, we should talk about, he went after the pay a second serve. It holds pay at 18 of 38 on those points. He creates 10 break points for himself, and now he only converted three of them. But look, he created 10 for himself, only faced four on the day. Again, the way he can be aggressive, his movement, his his touch, still not... You don't want to, still not at a top 25 level, maybe. It's definitely at a top 50 level. That's why he solidified himself there, but... Definitely excited about the weapons he possessed. But, Maddie, before we move on, this leads me to my first tangent. That Taylor Fritz has now made the quarterfinals of this tournament. You look in the live rankings, he's now up to a career high number 40. That's three behind number Francis, uh, three behind number 37, Francis Tiafo. Perhaps more indicative of the 2019 year, he is now up to number 36 in the ATP race to London in terms of points accumulated. One spot ahead of Riley Opelka and uh, three spots 
spots behind number 33, Francis Tiafo. Now, Matt, you look at these records. I'll give you a little context before I ask the question. With these two wins this week, Fritz now up to 15-16 and 16 on the year. Francis Tiafo heading into Wimbledon, sitting at 13-14. and 14. Who's had the more impressive 2019 thus far? Uh, I mean, it's a... It's a tough call. How much weight are we putting towards the majors, right? Because Francis, obviously, I mean, what sticks in my mind is that is that run at, at Australia, right? I mean, that's that's hard to forget. And, you know, if we're putting a lot of stock into the slams, I mean, I guess you'd have to say Francis. But I also think that Francis has been a little more inconsistent overall. He had that great run to the quarters, you know, back in January. But since then, he's... I don't know how many first-round losses he's had. I saw the stat the other day, but it was something like, I don't know, seven or eight first-round losses since the Australian Open. So to me, that's not good. I think Fritz has probably been a little bit more consistent throughout the year. I like what he did on the clay. You know, that's a guy that we didn't think was going to have much success on the clay. He went over to Europe and played well throughout that whole clay court swing leading up to the French. You know, now we're seeing him have some success on the grass We'll see what he does at Wimbledon. Let me just answer it this way. I I think Fritz has been more consistent this year, but Francis has obviously had the higher of highs. So I don't know, man. It's a see, tough question. This is why I love doing these podcasts with you because you answer that in such an intellectual, mature way. I completely agree with your points. Uh, let's start with the first run losses on the year. Tiafo's got eight to Fritz's seven. You look at the make uh, the marquee results, as you mentioned for Francis Tiafo, no titles this year, but you look at his resume and what he's done um, at the bigger events. Obviously, that quarterfinal run at the Australian Open, knocking off Kevin Anderson, Grigor Dimitrov, uh, Andreas Seppi in five sets the way he did. Then that quarterfinal run he has in Miami where he beat, you know, not the heaviest of draws in terms of a Masters event, I suppose, but still he beats Kesmenovic, Ferrer, Goffin, loses yeah. in three sets to Shapovalov. The thing for Fritz... You you said it perfectly. Probably a little bit more consistent week in, week out. Yes, he's got the seven first-round losses. He does have a title this year. It was at the challenger level, but you look at the guys he beat there. Marcos Giron, certainly, you know, we saw the success he's had. Uh, Miomir Kasmanovic, that's a repeat win over from Francis. Braden Schnurr, who's made a final this year. Uh, So that's a very good challenger win for him. And look, Tiafo, you you said it it, uh, correct as well. Fritz definitely had the better clay court season. Uh, Now, Fritz had a terrible sunshine swing, losing first round Miami and Indian Wells, but still, you know, wins two rounds in Monte Carlo before losing to Djokovic, goes through qualifying in Madrid and beats Dimitrov first round before losing to Djokovic again, goes through qualifying in Rome, beats Pea on clay, and then loses to Nishikori, uh, semifinals of Lyon. Fritz has had a very good year. It was a mature decision for him to go to, you know, go to Europe, as you mentioned, try out on the clay because that's going to always be a portion of the year. And you can't, you know, not that the expectations were that high, but he certainly exceeded them. He has cemented himself as a top 50 player on the HP tour, which at 21 years old, so hard to do. uh, Yeah, so hard to do. Now, again, getting back to the question I asked you, the highest of highs for Francis, as we mentioned, probably a little bit better. I I think what we've learned is the three out of five set format when Francis can make matches physical, that's always going to suit his game so well. Yeah. I mean, two events aside because they were just two bigger events, Francis had the better year. 
Yeah, I mean, I... I... I, I mean, but it's, it's it's pulling thread. Sorry to cut you off. As you mentioned, I'm not trying to – both players have had, you know, momentum-building seasons to this point. That's why I feel comfortable comparing him because it's not a knock on either. I would just say I prefer, I guess, Fritz's decision to go through the clay court struggles and have the sort of success he did going through qualifying at Masters events than to have the sort of high uh, – yeah, I'm going to stick with it – than to have the sort of highlight of quarterfinals of Australian Open in Miami. yeah. That's definitely fair. I mean, I'm with you. I'm, I'm excited about both guys, really, to be honest. But, I mean, for me, I always – I put a lot of stock in those big events, man. I, I really do. The slams are important to me and, and the Masters Thousands as well. I mean, if you're quartering those, you know, that's that's big. I, in my mind, that's big because, yeah. you know, everybody everybody's playing those tournaments. I mean, there's no easy matches and so those results to me maybe just hold a little bit more weight. But again, it, it goes both ways. Because like you mentioned, I mean, I love what Fritz did on the clay. So, Yeah, you're completely fair. Like I said, if you take either side in the argument, I won't knock you. And I will say this as well. I'll do a little shameless plugging here. Jonathan and Kelly and I... And- uh, Jonathan Kelly and I explored all of this on our Great Shot podcast, State of the Union of American Tennis at this point in the year. So if you want to hear more about the American Tennis uh, State of the Union, I suppose, and where we're at, go check that out. But with that being said, let's move on to our ma- next match. Unless, Matt, any final thoughts there? No, no. Let's. I think we hit on everything. Let's. Yeah. Um, let's move on. I have the notes, and I did say I had a tangent plan, but just so you know, we did 11 minutes on Fritz and Tiafo. That's about right, right? Short pod today. Eh, you know what? It was fun. Yeah, I completely agree with you. That's like, like I said, I I need to do these with you more often. But <laughs> let's move on to the rest of the results from today in Eastbourne. Again, I'm just kind of going to re- read through these, but if you have any thoughts, Matt, obviously feel free to chime in. Another American with a win today, Sam Query takes on Deuce on the Deuce Lajevich, 6-2-6-3. Query, a former semifinalist at Wimbledon, you know with the aggressiveness, uh, his body, his serve, what he's capable of, he gets hot on grass. So again, you look at these players who make the wise decision to play the week before Wimbledon to get that sort of confidence with Sam knocking out the four seed here. You definitely have to put him in the positive decision-making category. Uh, through the rest of the draw, Fernando Verdasco, a 6-7, winner over Juan uh, Londero. Jill Simone, who we mentioned earlier, a 6-2, 6-4 winner over one of my Wimbledon dark horses, Nicolas Jerry. Daniel Evans, a 6-3-7-5 winner over Air Bear. Hubie Hercatch, a 6-3-7-6 winner over American Steve Johnson. Thomas Fabiano, a 7-6-7-6 winner over number two seed Laszlo Jer. So we should say the number one, the number two, and the number four seeds all knocked out today. And then the last match I want to mention, number three seed Kyle Edmund knocks out fellow British player Cam Norrie, 6-2-6-2. Uh, right now, Edmund sits at number 30 in the live rankings, but you look at the ATP race, he's all the way down at number 70. Uh, I don't know if you've got the chance to see a lot of Edmund, but again, we talk about making that decision to play before. He needed this, right? He needs to get some wins under his belt because it's been a rough season for him. Yeah, he does. He's struggled this year, and I, I knew this was actually one of my matches to watch. I was talking to Jamie about it yesterday. I mean, 
I knew this match was either going to go one of two ways, and I said this yesterday. Edmund was either just going to get hot and start just blasting through Nori, which is exactly what he did, two and two, no problems there at all, or he was going to be a little bit off, make a bunch of errors, and Nori was going to be right in that match. So I, I knew one of those two things was going to happen, and obviously Edmund got hot, and you know I I'm not totally shocked you know, at that result. I think, to your point, he did need it. He has struggled this year. Um, but he's a dangerous player. I mean, he's got weapons. And so on this surface, I mean, we'll see what he can do at Wimbledon. He's going to have the crowd behind him and everything. I, I, you know, I don't like his chances to make a deep run, but we'll see what kind of draw he gets. Edmund six and 11 on the year, obviously last season, having that high of reaching the Australian open semifinal early on the kind of battles with injuries throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. Great for him to again, get another two wins here under his belt. He is, or no, sorry, that's his first win of the match uh, of the tournament, but now he'll get the chance to play another uh, fellow British player in Daniel Evans. Uh, just looking at the results real quick, and then we can look at the draw into this weekend. Just looking at that Hubie Hercatch match, Oh, that's a nice little rhyme there. Um, I just love his length. I love everything he can do on a tennis court. I It's such a lazy comparison to compare tall, lengthy players to Marin Cilic. But just the way, I guess the way I like to separate the real tall players, the ones I consider threats from the fake ones who just have weapons, is the way they're able to move around a court. And you can just tell Hercatch has that natural ability where he's in such control of his body. He leverages his length so well. And given how hard it is to move on a grass surface, uh, a dark horse would be too far for Hubie. But to see him win one, maybe two matches, if his draw looks good, would not be shocking at all. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, this is a guy that's on the rise. He's super young. You pretty much hit on all the points of his game. I mean, he's he's got a ton of potential. I mean, everybody with that size, you know, that can strike the ball the way that he does. I mean, he moves well, like you mentioned, for his size. Yeah, no, he's dangerous. I mean, that's a guy, <laughs> I remember a few weeks ago, he, he ended up drawing Joker in the first round of the French. If he can avoid a draw like that this time around at Wimbledon, I mean, I think he's got a chance to, to win a couple rounds, but... Um, you know, it, it all depends on that draw. I mean, when you're not seated, it, it's tough because you could get anybody. So we'll yeah. see. But yeah, no, I, I like him. I like him a lot. Completely agree with you. And look, as you look at this draw as we move into the weekend, the top half of it, very exciting. Who makes the finals out of these four? Taylor Fritz versus Hubie, as we mentioned. Kyle Edmund versus Daniel Evans in a British standoff, I suppose, before the fortnight begins. Going to be interesting to see who the Eastbourne crowd supports. I suppose it's a win-win for them no matter what. That, uh, I guess, well, just looking at those two matches real quick, Fritz Hercatch, who you got? We'll make quick picks. Give me Fritz. I'm never going to pick against a young American. but like, <laughs> Right, that's, that's, that's yeah. kind of what I was thinking too. I don't, I don't want to. So the argument you could make against Fritz in his draw on this one, Jub, obviously a great college player, but not much professional experience on grass. Guido Pay, as we mentioned, four and nine his career on the surface. Now he gets another young, dangerous player in her catch who's knocked off Chechenado, knocked off Steve Johnson, both in straight sets. Oh, it's length versus length. I, I like Fritz is the slightly better returner, slightly more experience on the surface. Yeah, I'll lean Fritz as well. I'm with yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, I'm expecting probably at least one, if not two tiebreakers, though, right? Don't yeah. you think? 
Definitely. Although the way Fritz was making break points for himself, I mean, Guido Pea is not Hubert Hurkacz in terms of what he can do on the grass with his serve. Right. But, again, I'll take Fritz, yeah. In a close match, certainly. Hit the over on whatever it is game-wise. Um, all right, Kyle Edmund, Daniel Evans, who you got? <sighs> Evans is in better form. He's won I know, two challengers on the surface. Exactly, and that's gimme Dan Evans, man. I mean, I like his game on grass. He's he's crafty. He's gonna come into the net. He's gonna chip that backhand. Look again. It's similar to the match today. Look, if Edmund gets hot, yeah, he can rip right through him. But I guess I'm gonna pick Evans and hope that Kyle Edmund is is making some errors. And you know, I could see Evans getting the win then. But you know, once Edmund, if he does get hot, I mean, it's tough to stop him. So. It, again, that match is probably going to go one of two ways. I said this yesterday, you know, Edmund Nori, and I'm I'm going to say it again here, but give me Evans. I, I mentioned Kyle Edmund number 70 right now in the ATP race. Daniel Evans number 35 in the ATP race right now to London. I mean, I watched Kyle Edmund lose to Stefano Tsitsipas last week, and I, some of the firepower he showed throughout the match, I was like, oh yeah, that's why I love this guy's game so much. I feel like having gone through the All-British battle with Nori the round before, he's kind of ready for that aspect of this. Uh, but Evans has more firepower than Nori. He can make Edmund more uncomfortable in different ways. He'll keep slicing to that backhand corner, forcing Edmund to run around that ball, and then keeping him honest with the down-the-line shots. Oh, I'm rolling Kyle Edmund because that's been my guy for these past two years, and we have to disagree at some point. But I agree. Certainly another close match could go either way. Um, all right, let's look at the bottom of the draw. Verdasco query. Uh, my heart tells me query, but my head tells me Verdasco. We just haven't seen query in a, in a while, right? I mean, he, he's been out. We haven't seen that much of him and Verdasco is just that that guy that's always hanging around. I mean, it seems like every single tournament does Verdasco ever take a week off? I don't think he does. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure gotta... he plays. He plays like 52 weeks a year. You know, what, however many weeks in the season there are, I'm pretty sure Verdasco fills the quota. He saw Ferrer retire. He saw Feliciano Lopez win a, win a title, and he's like, "Shit, like, what am I going to do for my last <laughs> thing?" And so he's on the prowl. He is, man. Um, and this one, give me – I'm going to go with Fernando Verdasco. Obviously, I'm going to be cheering for Sam Query. I hope he can win it, um, give him some good confidence going into Wimbledon. But I'll go with the lefty. So Sam Query, 9-7 and seven on the year. We haven't seen him play since Houston in early April. And his result there, he made the semifinal loss seven six six two to Christian Guerin, which in you know hindsight not a bad loss. What we know from Guerin now, if Query's healthy, this is his surface, and because of that, you took Verdasco again. I have to differentiate you with you at some point, otherwise, why host this podcast? I'll go with Query. I'm totally down. I, I okay. love slamming Sammy. He has not yet dropped a set in this tournament. You know, wins over Kakushkin Lajovic. Verdasco played two tiebreak in a rough three-set match today. I'll take a fresher Sam. Um, but okay. last last match, Jill Simone, Thomas Fabiano. Oh, give me Jill Simone, man. I'm not picking against him now, especially <laughs> against Fabiano. That's you know that match is going to be right up Simone's alley. It's it's a very similar player, just just not quite as good. So I mean, Simone's obviously we've already talked about him enough. He's playing great. Um, I don't see any reason why. 
this would be the end of his run here unless he's just not feeling good at all. I mean, maybe he's tired and, and he has a bad day, but I mean, if he's feeling pretty good physically, I don't see him losing this one. Yeah, I agree, and I feel like, uh, I mean, it might be more beneficial for him to lose given how much tennis he's played yeah, over the last couple that's, weeks. That's fair. But I just think Fabiano's a good Fabiano qualifier in this tournament. I'll take Simone, who he's still a professional athlete. He's in shape. I think, uh, yeah, probably the favorite going into this. But all right, we spent enough time on Eastbourne. Let's quickly run through our event in Turkey. I'm just going to hit you with the results. Karino Busta, 7-6-6-4, winner over Kravitz. Troisky, a 6-6, six six, winner over number one seed Benoit Paer. Kasmenovic, a 4-5, winner over Umbert. Tomic, a 6-3 and three winner over Gojewicz. That sets up our quarterfinal round here where we've got Troisky, Kasmanovic, Toms- uh, let, Let's start there. Troisky, Kasmanovic, a Serbian battle. Who you got? Give me the young guy. Um, mm. uh, yeah, you know, I mean, Victor, Tr- Victor Troisky, I didn't realize before this tournament that he was even still playing much. A qualifier I mean, it- into this event. Yeah, that's right. So... You know what? I mean, he's a veteran. He's been around forever. He, you know, he's been here before. Give me the young guy. Give me Kichmanovic. I mean, I, I, I like. Uh, again, I think he's on the rise. I'm gonna go with the young Serbian over over the elder. Kasmanovic wins over Munar four and three, and Umbert both next gen players four and five. Troisky, as I mentioned, a qualifier in this tournament, but obviously a big win over Pair. You have to wonder mentally, Kasmanovic, if you grew up watching Troisky, obviously such a big part of Serbian tennis over the past decade. But I watched Miomir Kasmanovic play on grass so far this year, and let me tell you, again, not something I say lightly, he doesn't move as well as Djokovic, but there's a naturalness to his movement. There's the fa- He just looks comfortable. You could almost see him sliding on grass at one point, and he'd be okay doing it. Uh, the guy can create firepower no matter where he is on the court. He's that solid from the baseline. Now, he doesn't have a lot of weapons to move forward. But I like this matchup for him. I'm sorry, I had to say my two cents on Kasmanovic. We're going through this one speedy, but I'll take him as well. Next one, Thompson Zoomer. Ooh, Zoomer, the defending champion here in Turkey, by the way. Um, and Jordan Thompson's been playing well above my expectations over the last couple final, weeks. Right? On lost Grassi, to Manorino. Lost to Manorino in the final of Hurtagenbush a couple weeks back. So, ooh, I mean, this one's a ooh. This is tough to call. Um, give me Jordan Thompson. All right. I'll take Zoomer. Got to defend the ground. Uh, Tomic Carino Busta. Who you got? Ooh, this is interesting, too. Carino Busta, by the way, that, that was his first win ever at the ATP Tour level on grass. Which is why, let me just say from the get-go, give me the Bernie. I'm feeling the burn. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I, I'm... T- I'm tempted to go there, but no, we have to disagree. You're not. Yeah, no, we, we do I have to disagree, Tomic and I will. I, I will never. I, no, look, I don't want to pick Bernard Tomic. I, I don't ever want to pick him in a match as a winner ever. So no, give me Carino Busta. He's going to get his second ever win on grass. Well, again, I forgot to say this last one. Thompson, another guy who might benefit from losing from all the times, just get some rest in. Bernard Tomic, who knows what he's been up to the past couple of months. So, yeah, let's see him <laughs> rock and roll. Last one, again, a champion earlier on this season on the grass. Adrian Manorino against Lorenzo Sinego. Uh Both guys, three set winners in their round of 16 matches. Who you got? Uh, give me Manorino. Um, I mean, Sinego's a guy that I, I also think is on the rise. He's not my favorite young Italian. You know who that is already. Hmm. Berrettini. <laughs> That's right. Um, but give me Manorino. I mean, he's tricky on grass. He's Manorino's a tricky lefty on, on any surface. So, 
you know, a little more experience. Um, I'll take the Frenchman. All right. I'll take Sanego to disagree with you, and I'm going to say it because I want people like Manorino, Thompson, Simone as fresh as possible come Wimbledon. So, again, I'm down for them to get some rest. So give me Sanego, who I guess could use the prize money probably a little bit more than Manorino at this point. But, all right, with that being said, last topic we have to cover. Wimbledon qualifying, as we mentioned, already underway. Second round on both the gentlemen's and the ladies' side. Uh, let's start with the ladies real quick, and I just want to talk about the American results because Americans are, are just real quick uh, to set the scene for the women's Wimbledon qualifying final round participants by country. America leads the way with six. I believe there are four Russians, three Belgian players, two players from the Czech Republic, Germany, I believe Netherlands and Romania, one from Australia, Brazil, France, the UK, Italy, um, I believe Kazakhstan, Poland, Serbia, uh, Spain, and two flags on a Jonathan Kelly tweet that I can't identify at this point because they're unclear, <laughs> but I will get those back to you. Uh, Matt, looking at the ladies' winner on the American side, the ones we had advancing today, uh, you look through, you had Katie McNally, Christine McHale, Danielle Lau, Christiane, Lauren Davis, and Coco Goff. Uh, let's start with Goff real quick because obviously for her, uh, just the the young uh, player, 16 years old, I believe, two and three winner, former world junior number one. I mean, she is just a stud, man. Oh, yeah, and she's so young. I mean, this is just the beginning. She's got her entire career ahead of her. So um, what is it, one more match now that she needs to quali? Yeah, and I believe she matched up now with numbers, uh, the number 19 seed Menon. Yeah, I mean, you know what? There's there's an opportunity there. So, I mean, I I like her chances. And look, Seriously, we're, we're I, I think she can... No, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think she can definitely get into that main draw. And look, we're guaranteed one American qualifier on the women's side with Lauren Davis and Christiane matching up with one another, but... Uh, you look through it, Daniel Lau's got Rodianova, Mikhail versus number 20 seed Duvon, Mc, oh, Katie McNally, another young stud, takes on Sepalova, an unseeded player. Um, yeah, so we're definitely going to have a lot of chances tomorrow. Uh, I guess, just to, to remind our listeners, can you explain why qualifying for a Grand Slam is so important for the young players at this stage in their career? Well, I mean, number one is just the experience. I mean, first of all, when you're young, you've got to get that experience. What better way to do it? Um, but I mean, second of all, I mean, if we're talking prize money and things like that, too, I mean, just to get into that main draw is huge. So, um, you know, and it's just it's an opportunity. I mean, if you if you sneak into that main draw and you happen to win a round, you get a good draw, you win a match. I mean, your ranking is going to shoot up. There's huge points at stake. So, I mean, really, that's how these that's how these young players break through. You know, they they get through qualifying, get a decent draw in the main, and then you know end up winning a match or two, and you know before you know it, they're top hundred, top seventy, top fifty, and that's it. Give me the numbers of the six. How many make uh, the main draw? Give me give me three. I'll go half, fifty percent. Uh, typical Matt Koyak pick. I should have seen that. You should have, but what? I mean that. <laughs> I don't I'll know take what to the say. over. If three's take, the over-under, right. I'll take the over. I'm down with that. 
All right. Um, all right. You, let's look at the men real quick. You look at it again. Another Jonathan Kelly tweet on this side. American men lead the way. I believe they have five men left. Three Australians, two French, or three Australians, three Frenchmen, three Japanese, two from the Czech Republic, two Germany, uh, two Italian, and then a bunch of other countries with one uh, player in the draw. Let's look at those five Americans, as I mentioned, that are left. No Ruben, a four six six one six two winner over former USC player Roberto Quiroz. Uh, Tommy Paul, an 066464 winner over o- former Ohio State player Mikhail Torpegard. We should mention in that match, Tommy Paul down, I believe, a, uh, 4-1 in the third, and he comes back to win. Uh, the other uh, Chris Eubanks today, he falls 7663, but some of the other Americans, Donald Young, a 7663 winner over Galan. Bjorn for Tangelo, a 13-11 in the third set winner over Quinton Helis. Marco Schiarone, a 6-4-7-6 winner over the number 10 seed Huang. Uh, Tim Smichek, unfortunately, a 6-1-6-3 loser to number 1 seed Courtney Moutet. But overall, five shots uh, added. Pretty pretty good results today from the Americans. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I don't think we can complain about that. These these were overall, I'd say, good results. Um you know, let's let's hope again. I'd say here we can get three into the main is probably what I'd shoot for. Well, looking at these draw, uh, draws, Donald Young faces Ruben Bemblemans, who I believe made third round last year of this tournament. Noah Rubin versus Yannick Hanifman, the former USC star. That one breaks my heart that someone's got to lose that match. Giron versus Galovich, and then two really tough ones. Tommy Paul versus number seven seed Yuri Vesely, and then Bjorn Fratangelo against number four seed Alexi Paparin. Three is going to be tough. I mean, let's... yeah, I mean, the, I was thinking two, but I mean, if we can get three, I mean, I'll be super happy about that. Yeah. I mean, it, again, for Tangelo Paparin, that's going to be tough for Tangelo. I mean, he's been 13 so 11. If he gets a day off, maybe. If not, it's going to be really hard. Andrew Harris, not American, but real quick on the college tennis note, the former Oklahoma player still in the draw. I mentioned uh, Yannick Hanifman still in there. Braden Schnur, the former UNC number eight seed, he makes the second round. I mentioned Marcos Giron, Yannick Hanifman. Uh, so obviously, a good day for college tennis as well. Uh, let's say Popperin wins. I'm saying this to be negative. I'm taking Tommy Paul no matter what, just on principle. I'll take Giron as well because he's been a Cracked Interviews guest. Noah Rubin and Yannick, both Cracked Interviews guests, but Rubin's been on a binge lately, so I suppose we'll give him the win for the American boost. What about what about D. Young, man? I don't know. Bemelmans is very, very good, but D. Young's he, been good. It's a, it's a lefty matchup. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, three is the number. If we can get three, it's a successful day, right? Yes, I, I agree completely. If we. Yeah, I feel like it is a we. It counts as a we. But all right, on that note, look at us. Under 40 minutes. I love it. Uh, any final thoughts, Manny, before we wrap this bad boy up? I don't think so, man. I'm just – I'm ready to roll. Are you going to have me on a, a preview pod or, or what? I mean, can I count on that? Oh, we'll get a preview pod in this weekend. We may even get an article or two out. All right. Yeah, All right, the, the big stuff. But yeah, I will commit. You want to do this next uh, next Wednesday night for Thursday as well? Recap that second round for Wimbledon. I feel like that's our roots. That's where we made our bread and butter. Absolutely, man. Yeah, we can guarantee we'll slot ourselves in for two hours there. And with that in <laughs> mind, uh, with all of the podcasts that and all the editing that comes with those two-hour pods, a huge shout-out to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f- editing job to do, as always. 
again, with Wimbledon around the corner, you don't want to be left behind. So if you have to catch up on anything in the tennis world, check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. You know the podcast by now. This podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, What the Deuce. Like, rate, subscribe, review. Any comments you guys have for us, we would really appreciate to hear. We'd love to do a mailbag if possible. So if you guys have questions over Twitter, you know, start sending them in and maybe we'll accumulate them. And when we get, you know, maybe 20, we'll have enough to do a full mailbag. You know, we want to hear your funny ones as well. You know, what do we think about lines, people? What do we think about the Wimbledon dress code, you know, on-court coaching, things like that. All fun things we would love to explore. Uh, love to hear from you guys about them as well. Um, we can even do some funny ones as well. So uh, just throw us in the loop. But with that being said, oh, the social media, got to plug that. Dalton would get upset. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Instagram, you know the deal by now, at Cracked Rackets. But with that being said, for my splendid co-host, Matthew Stokowiak, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, and from our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Matty, what do we tell the listeners? That's a break. And we look forward to talking to you guys later throughout the weekend. Thanks, everyone.